Hi, this is Mark Newbold from Star Wars Insider and Fanta Tracks. You're listening to the Scarif Scuttlebutt podcast, and that's the Scuttlebutt. This podcast is a member of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts and content creators, visit bio.link slash red5. Are we recording? Punch it, Chewy. The known universe, with all its buts. Ah, yes, the scuttlebutt. We listen, we talk, and in between, somewhere in that world, we find the truth. But as the sun always shines on Scarif, as we've been known to say, Tonight, darkness falls. Darkness meets us as we hear the wild howls of monsters. We hear the scuttlebutt. Thank you for gathering in ritual. Werewolf by Night is just a giant mashup love letter to all of these old movies, which I absolutely loved and lived on growing up. It's something brand new that we've never seen in this universe before. We wanted to explore entirely new characters and entirely new sides of the MCU with this unusual, fun, and frightening spin on the supernatural. What's up, everybody? Um, I've got a wonderful panel of monster fans in the house tonight. We are talking about Werewolf by Night. I'm going to give uh, our reaction, uh, kind of not really a review, but just uh, how we liked it. I guess it is a review. I don't know what I'm talking about. But um, across the stratosphere, uh, obviously, I've got my wonderful co-host, Shanti. From the Scarif Scuttlebutt podcast and Scarif After Dark. How's it going, Shanti? I'm good. How are you? I'm really excited to talk about this. Yes, yes, yes. This is a good one. Um, I was very surprised when I watched Werewolf by Night the first time. I saw it twice. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I I had um, I had certain vibes that were coming from it. And there, there are certain projects that when you look at a movie or a series or something, you kind of think of a certain person. You think of, of folks that like that sort of thing. And mm-hmm. obviously, you know, I've got friends that are not really into Star Wars. When something Star Wars comes up, they're like, oh, Rogue would like this. Die, die, die. <laughs> it's like, um, Great I've impression. Got, yeah, I've, I've got the same thing. You know, I watched this monster stuff and I obviously thought of Melanie um, and I thought of Andy. And yes. uh, of course, they are joining us tonight. Ladies, how are you? I am awesome. Thank you so much for inviting me. You know, I will talk uh, anytime, anywhere. 
about monsters, old monsters movies and comic books. And this is like the perfect marriage of like all my niche interests, you know? <laughs> totally agree. Melanie, how are you tonight? I'm doing well. How are you? Fantastic. Oh, man. This is... Uh... It's like Charlie's Angels right here. Charlie's Angels, right. But cooler. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Yeah, well. (laughs) Absolutely. Obviously. (laughs) So let me me ask you guys uh, our first question, I guess. Were you guys aware of where the Werewolf by Night, where the story came from or where the the property came from? Nope. Nope. Me neither. Took me by surprise completely. Yeah, they did. They dropped that out of nowhere, it seemed like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, seeing the uh, the trailer, I was uh, I was very curious, mm-hmm. and then doing a little research, I found out that it, it was a comic book, and I know there's one character in the show, um, the monster Man Thing, and I, I I remember seeing Man Thing in some of the other. I think he had his own comic book, his own yes. title. Um, but I you know I'm like, oh okay, this is kind of interesting. Let's see where it's going. But I, I had no clue, no idea how this was uh, this was going to unfold. Um, very pleasantly surprised. But um, I, I really want to get into, uh, you know, what it made you feel. Uh, Shanti, um, we always talk about classic movies and old cinema and things like that. This definitely, you know, had had its roots in, in all of that. Obviously, it was shot in black and white. It was just mm-hmm. wonderful, wonderful seeing that type of, of cinematography. And it's directed by the guy that provided the music for Rogue One, which I was surprised too. Yeah, I know. And one of my favorite Disney Pixar movies, Ratatouille. Yeah. (laughs) I love this composer and he did such a great job. And I was having a conversation earlier with uh, Sith Care Bear and saying how, for me, when it comes to black and white, especially in classic movies, so much of it really is... uh, Based on like the music, like for me, the music it brings so much. So I, it really tied everything together just beautifully. And of course, when I saw the trailer, as soon as I saw black and white, you know, I was like, "That's it! I'm a sucker for this." <laughs> Absolutely. I'm going to ask Melly the the next question because uh, Shanti, you talked about music. I actually think that this movie. Do we call it a movie? Was it a movie? This, this one shot special, uh, uh, special program. It's a Halloween special. <laughs> yeah. It, it, um, it actually didn't need any dialogue. I was watching it with the audio down and just listening to the music and, you know, again, hearkening back to old Hollywood, it was all, it was almost like watching a silent film with, with the music. I do hope my attendance delights you. Thank you, Verusa, for seeing it through and for shaping our cause like no other. With my passing, it is now time to choose a new leader in the crusade against monsters. This honor can only be bestowed upon the strongest and most committed to our mission. Very soon, a monster unlike anything you faced will be released into these sacred grounds. The hunter who slays this beast will become our new leader, taking possession of my bloodstone. Melanie, did you get the same vibes? Yes, and it was also a lot like the Universal Monster movies that I love so much. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, not too far off the running time either, because I was I've been doing a rewatch like I do every Halloween, but I've been noticing the run times are very short for the Universal monsters, or they average a little over an hour yeah. a piece, and so it's they're easy to binge and yeah. all that. So this could be a movie, could be a Universal movie. Yeah, it's not that far absolutely. off. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I think that was a conscious decision because they they you know they start the way they started out. They had the nice little uh, uh, voiceover at the beginning, which gave me some Orson Welles vibes. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, the titles were great. The uh, you know, I mentioned the narration, but Andy, what did what did you think about it uh, overall? Well, I, yeah, I, I agree with you, Ro. I think that the um, the harkening back to the Universal Monsters is, is so deliberate. I, did you guys notice, probably notice how they inserted in, in the post-edits, um, how like the flickering of like old film and like even yes. the holes in the film, yes. like the film cells and Stripper. stuff? Yeah, yeah, it was so mm-hmm. cool because it, it took me like a, it, I didn't catch it right away because I'm so used to, I'm like Melanie, I watch this stuff every Halloween and, you know, I just, I'm you get used to those little extra you know visual details that are present in like physical film versus digital which is so crystal clear but they added it back in to have that you know that touch of authenticity which i thought was so cool and it was so you brought that up it was so cool i like i was freaking out over it (laughs) i felt the same way as you i i watched these classic movies so much and when i watched it the first time i didn't notice it at first i it was almost kind of like a blink and you miss it kind of thing and then when I watched it now the second time around about an hour and a half ago, I was like, okay, now I'm going to look for it. And I was like, yeah, there it is. There it is. But you just get so used to it that it didn't even register the first time I watched it. I'm glad you guys mentioned that. I had mentioned that to a couple of friends at work and they, obviously they didn't see it. But yeah, the first time I saw it, I, I was taken aback. I'm like, wait a minute. Did they just put the punch hole in there. And I looked at the time because I think, you know, a little background that punch hole was a signal for the projectionist to get ready to change the reels. And it happened every 16 minutes. And I was looking at the time of the, um, of the, of the, of the, of the movie. And it was around 16 and a half, you know, 16 minutes right in there. And I'm like, Oh my God, that is so awesome. And then the next time I saw it, it was it was another 16 minutes. I'm like, wow, that is that is wonderful, wonderful planning. And uh, just another little detail that uh, paid uh, homage to, you know, old movies. And I loved it. Pure attention to detail. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, you could tell real film buffs were maybe oh. be this one. <laughs> You know, one of the things that um, I was not aware, you know, and I, I didn't know how this fit into anything. I didn't know it was part of, you know, the what do you call it? Uh, what did they call it? I think somebody mentioned the term um, the dark MCU. Um, I'm not sure if that's the correct terminology, but I love the fact that, you know, they, they gave us a little introduction as to where this may or may not fit in the overall Marvel cinematic universe. You had a little, you know, kind of uh, telling at the beginning there with the, uh, with the drawings and the voiceover, but I thought that was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, what else did you guys notice towards the top of the, of the program? We'll get into some of the characters and the actors uh, in, in a bit, but anything, anything that kind of caught your eye? I liked how the sets looked like sets and they yeah. weren't trying to make them look real. It was very clearly they were on a set and it looked very much like the sets that you would see in a Universal movie. Mm-hmm. 
and, and the back could, of the coffin did you read the the you know when they did there was a camera move when they were going around the coffin that was standing upright it said this side up <laughs> did you guys <laughs> yes. catch that i didn't catch yes. that that's great oh yeah <laughs> i'll be rotting for you <laughs> Forgive me. Graveyard humor. Yeah, I think they used entirely practical effects, or for the most mm-hmm. part, it's obviously the coloring and things like that. They they didn't use it, but I, I'm pretty sure that that uh, they did end up using like a lot of practical effects, more so than you know the typical Marvel undertaking. Right. <laughs> Which looks great, I think. You know, in black and white. I, I'm not sure if it would look as good in color because we are so used to you know high-end special effects especially for these types of films but even later on when there is a sequence of of our main character transforming you know there's a there's a lot of shadow play and i love the fact Mm -hmm. that the shadow play definitely looks like it's it's hand drawn um that was beautiful very very nice but um, there's a lot of characters at the, at the onset of this movie. And obviously they're there for a reason. Um, you guys want to talk about some of your favorite, um, favorite monster hunters. We've got obviously, uh, Jack Russell, uh, Gael Garcia Bernal, who, uh, a lot of people know from, you know, some of his independent work, but, um, what, what'd you guys think of all the, uh, the characters? I'm like you, Ro. We were discussing this before we started recording. I liked the thin, all the character dressed all in white that we found out is a, is a woman, a model. Just absolutely the stark white was just absolutely beautiful. And that one kind of caught my attention right away just because of the incredibly white outfit that they were wearing. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. Everyone else was kind of forgettable, and I think, in my personal opinion, it was designed that way. Melanie, what about you? Uh, what characters uh, stood out for you? I really liked Elsa. Yes. Yeah. I just I, I liked her. <laughs> I liked her whole attitude, and mm-hmm. I don't know. I just I just thought that was a really a really neat sort of person to be in this group. <laughs> Absolutely, and to, and to bring her whole family conflict into it, and she didn't have a lot of dialogue to to put to that, you know. So a lot of it was her physicality, and so many death dealers in one room, and the way she dragged that chair across the yes, floor I was, love that. was great. Oh my dear heart! It was just great. I mean, she didn't have a lot. I mean, she really didn't have a lot in the way of. Um, exposition i mean they had that little she had that little conversation with her stepmother in the beginning but um she she really did a lot with it also after 20 years i hope you didn't feel obligated to come god knows the others won't like it how long can we expect you to stay give me what's mine i'll leave now what aspect of the bloodstone are we after exactly the strength it lends the protection Longevity. Bruce, so what I do with it after I've earned it will be none of your business. To be honest, that might be the best part. <laughs> I wonder if you're up to it. All these years without training. No, his training. Let's find out together. You were so promising growing up. 
We all believed you would surpass your father. Instead, you seem satisfied to emulate your mother. I did what I could with you. Shame I didn't turn out. Don't be too easy on yourself. You were the greatest disappointment of his life. Someone needs to make a fan video and turn this into a silent movie because the more and more I play it in my head, I can literally visualize this as, as a silent movie. Not that it would work better because I like the way the movie plays out just as it is, but this really would have been a spectacular silent film. I just don't think anyone would have been on board, unfortunately. I think that appreciation for film is gone. Yeah, one of the things that I really liked about um, about just the practical effects we were talking about earlier and the um, the throwbacks to some of the original monster movies from Universal is the lighting. And there's a certain way that people would light um, movie heroines in those movies where like their eyes were very, if you've ever seen the Adams family films uh, from the nineties, they light Morticia the same way where there's like yes. a streak of light across her, like her eyes and her nose. So it kind of makes her seem kind of glowing and her eyes are shining. So they lit Elsa that way. That's how you kind of knew that there was supposed to be like a vibe between her and, you know, and Jack um, because, you know, she was lit in like the sort of like the love interest movie heroine traditional right. way. And she, that's, you know, I, I thought that was really, cool too and, and you know she does have that look they styled her really well too they styled her very very retro even though i don't think they really established what timeline i think it's supposed to be present day right i mean this was i mean he post- mentioned sushi at the, at the mm-hmm. end right. so i i took it as it being present day yeah what did you guys think of i i absolutely love the fact that they chose to do this in black and white again i'm not sure you know how the comic books were structured um obviously the comic books are in color but uh, just something about this and then obviously we we do know that it's kind of like a halloween special so that kind of gave them an excuse to 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 kind of embellish this um this project as a one-off i just i'm absolutely enthralled um at uh how how well this has been received but how how much i love it how much i like it a lot um there is uh, something about black and white photography that is so, God, it's so hard to describe, but easy to describe at the same time. It's classic. It's easy to to set moods. And I think this project in particular really, really benefited from all that stuff. You guys mentioned the lighting. I think that was, it's perfect. Um, there's There's tension in you know a lot of the the action sequences where you know less is more with this and i i think um i think they did a marvelous job and and what's his name michael giancano mm-hmm. i'm pronouncing it correctly <laughs> I, I i think he did a, a wonderful wonderful job at directing this i think color would have been distracting and especially when you get towards the end after he transforms and how bloody it is when he's you know mauling all of those guards and stuff you know in that room i think especially with the blood splattering on the camera yes i think had that been in color it would have been distracting it would have been it would have felt more gratuitous in my opinion so and again when it comes to black and white the reason why i like it same as you row it's classic there's a romanticism to it and you're not focused on 
on you i mean look you can get an idea of how the costume looks so you can still appreciate it in black and white but once you snap that and turn it into color then all of a sudden i'm distracted by oh look at the color of her dress look at the color of his suit this i'm completely focused on the actors and their faces and the words coming out of their mouth so i i felt completely sucked in because of the black and white Absolutely. And I, you know, watching that, uh, that battle towards the end after he, uh, pops out of the cage, it was pretty brutal. And I, at one point I was thinking like, wow, D- Disney actually did this. And that's Anybody why they get those files. That's why they chose black and white because they were mm-hmm. trying to avoid the mature audience rating. So that was actually one of the reasons why they chose black and white. It is. And it's a, it's a bit of a debate, as I understand, on like websites that rate things for age appropriateness, like Common Sense Media. I think I was looking at that earlier. I was curious because I wanted to see what because I was kind of thinking about the same thing about what um, the horror aspects and the, the monsters and, you know, the part where they they dismember that dude. <laughs> you know, like, there's yes. a lot of aspects to it that were kind of intense. And so I was looking up and there is a lot of debate on Reddit and on websites that talk about these types of issues uh, where, um, yeah, they, they, they should have maybe rated it TV. I mean, I don't personally think so. I think TV 14 is probably appropriate. I mean, if you've seen stranger things, I believe that's rated the same and that's at least as, as, graphic as werewolf by night was so i i think maybe like some of the sequences of the monsters or what have you might have been scary for you and the dismembering that that still stuck in my traumatized me Uh, but but, um you know some of that might be intense for like very young children but i think tv tv 14 was probably that was probably on the nose sure sure and i was uh, also sort of an obi-wan kenobi in the cantina sort of thing too yeah 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 I think Disney is getting pretty good, you know, obviously with the addition of Star Wars, they're getting pretty good at chopping hands off of characters. (laughs) The running theme. (laughs) Got it in the It's like the first first thing that gets chopped in this is a hand. I know. It's true. Melanie, you've seen a lot of classic movies. How does this Mm -hmm. fare with the rest of them? I think it fits right in with a, it would fit in as a universal property. I really think so. It has yeah. that sort of glamour to it. It has that dreamlike quality that a lot of those movies have. And that's one of the reasons why I liked it so much. I mean, as soon as it started, I mean, within the first five minutes, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to love this. Oh, yeah. And I did. I know. Yeah. I mean, I mentioned earlier, I mentioned how the titles kind of changed um, and it went into that classic mode. Um, and it really does tell you, you know, buckle in because you're in for a treat and uh it definitely was a treat it really was even even the throwback special thing that they had at the beginning it was just like the cbs specials right we were growing up i was like oh this is so cool But it, it also seems like uh, Disney is getting uh, the corner market on on really long um, hallway scenes. We've got uh, Darth Vader in uh, Rogue One. This scene in particular, though, the towards the end there, the hunters and the werewolf in that hallway where they get, uh, and I think it was the some guards or police that came in. Yeah, you know, there's this long shot. And obviously the blood gets splattered on the camera, as Shanti uh, mentioned. But uh, you get uh, you get a taste of the brutality of this character, which 
which I love. They, they, they didn't seem to hold back. No, they didn't at all. And, and I'm happy for it because again, um, we've discussed this before. Look, I get these things are essentially being done under the Disney banner, but you decided to buy a property like Marvel and, you know, right. if you flipped through a few pages of the comic books, I mean, comic books are not really for kids and Disney's, I mean, going to Magic Kingdom, you could tell like that's for a bunch of little five-year-olds, but, you know, having a property like that, you can't, you can't hold back like that, you know, especially for something like this. So if you're going to do it, do it. And again, with the black and white, I really didn't find it to be that graphic. So, you know, yeah, some, you know, like Melanie, uh, your niece, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know how strict her parents are, but I would imagine that at her age, she probably wouldn't have been scared by a werewolf by night. I'm sure she would have liked it. I mean, oh yeah. Cause she's, she's watched all this. She's into stranger things. So oh, you see, it's so, going to oh, be, yeah. yeah, forget yeah. it. There you go. And me, I'm a horror movie fan in general. So mm-hmm. this was right up my alley. I, I appreciated everything about this. You know, I mentioned earlier, less is more, the way they shot this. Um, there's that shot where the main character gets uh, transformed into the werewolf creature. And you don't really see the transformation. You see the beginning of it. You see kind of like a werewolf uh, in London shot of the hand that kind yes. of grows. And then they just cut away to to Elsa cowering um, by the bars and you see in the background that that shadow that I mentioned, and it's you know again less is more. I think your mind fills in the gaps um, that your that the the narrative isn't really showing you. You you did the same thing in the hallway scene. There's a lot of blood and a lot of movement, but you really couldn't tell like what was going on. Coupled with the audio, um, I just think it was brilliantly done. And kudos to the actress who plays Elsa. I mean, again, so much of the black and white aspect, you really have to emote, in my opinion, that much more. And I really did feel her fear, even especially when he had her pinned down at the end and she goes to reach up, you know, and stroke his face and her hand is completely shaking. Like I feel her fear and she, she did a wonderful job. She did. She almost reminded me, um, like a little bit of Greta Garbo. I had never seen this actress before in oh, anything. Yes. Yeah, me neither. But she had that sort of, you know, that very expressive, evocative quality that Shanti was talking about. And I think, you know, I, I think the um, that tone was set, um, obviously, by the director. But it's it's just another reason that I think that, you know, this movie would have fared well, even if it was kind of a silent movie with just music. You had the actors, uh, you know, doing their thing. Um, it just worked. It, it would have worked so well, I think, um, as as that, uh, you know, when a, with a different type of format. Um, I also like the fact that uh, that Crystal was, you know, it was decided that uh, let's add some color because it gave it some more mysticism. It gave it a little bit more of a magical feel to it, that this thing is, is something special. What do you guys think of that? Yeah, I like the fact. I, li- I like that too. I thought it was really cool. It added sort of almost a hyper real quality to to it. it almost um, like it was very much you know a throwback to these older movies. But it was kind of reminding you, okay, but it's not an older movie. It's new, and we have all this, this stuff to play around with. And uh, I just the whole production to me was very thoughtful. You could just tell a lot of thought went into it. A lot of 
not that other Marvel productions, you know, aren't as thoughtful, but you know, when we did have the stars and the director of Thor love and thunder making fun of the CGI people, you know, a couple of months ago, right, yeah. you know, <laughs> and stuff like that. Like, you know, when we have those situations, when we, when we you come across something like this, so it was obviously such a labor of love and, and just all this thought went into it. So I, I really, I like that, that, that glow of that, that ageless stone, it was almost symbolic to me because that stone had been around for how many, you know, generations and was going to be around in the future. And uh, it was just a cool tie in between the past and the future and the present. I just thought it was a really cool little, little detail that did a lot. And not overdone. You know, it almost, it almost looked hand tinted. Mm -hmm. You know, so it was just, it was just enough, but that's, that's true of the whole production. I think it was just enough. There wasn't this excess that you get sometimes, you know, there was humor, but it wasn't too much humor. Right. And it wasn't, you know, and the action was was there, but it wasn't too much. It was everything was on point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that really surprised me um, watching it the first time. You know, the it ended, the credits rolled, and I was like, "Damn, that was that was pretty damn good." I know. Yes, actually, the first time I watched it, I had to remind myself, like, this is truly an ode to you know, the classic horror movies, because the first time around that I saw, I was like, man, that was kind of quick. I was like, man, 55 minutes. But then I was like, you know what? Like, um, I think Andy said earlier, you know, you don't realize that you watch something like Dracula or Frankenstein and they're like just a little bit over an hour. So then when I watched the second time around, um, it actually didn't feel as short or I just was so much more into it the second time around that I didn't even notice that, okay, it was only 55 minutes. It, it was just, it was just perfect. Yeah. I was really into the story, obviously mm-hmm. the, uh, the, the tale of, of the, the bloodstone, um, you know, the, when they gathered there to listen to, uh, f- uh daddy bloodstone, uh, come back to life, at least for this little portion of the. <laughs> That was well done. That was so and I awesome. loved I love the reaction of all the, the monster hunters like, what the hell is going on with Creep this? Creep factor was great. Yeah. There is only one bloodstone. And it can have only one keeper. I don't think there's anything that I didn't like about this um, other than, yeah, maybe it could have been a little longer because I really loved, um, I don't know, I just, I love the, the the way that they did this. What do you guys think of the ending? I know, you know, it kind of transforms back to color. You have the uh, Wizard of Oz music playing there and obviously the, the connections between black and white and other things. I'm trying to see if there are any other kind of like meta connections, uh, what are they trying to tell us? Did, did you guys get catch anything other than the obvious? The only thing that I know just from the little bit of reading that I've done is that this apparently somehow connects to Moon Knight. Right. And I did see that. Yeah. And, um, I think it does say a lot that when you're watching Disney Plus, I have started to notice a trend of 
that they're very particular. I think about like what movies and shows they recommend for you after you've watched another property. So, Oh yeah. I really have started to catch on to that. Um, I think it recommends Moon Knight after that, but yeah, I think in, in reading about the comic book itself, it is supposed to connect. So we'll see how they plan to, if they are going to at all merge this in. And I think it's supposed to connect to Kit Harrington's character in the Eternals, the one at the very end Morbius, of the sword. Right? Not a yeah, whole yeah. I think that this is all gonna, yeah, turn into that. So we'll see. Wow. Yeah, uh, these characters, Werewolf by Night and uh, Man Thing, uh, they have a really well as long as the history that they're, they're relatively new characters, I think, but. They in the comics they've they've been friends and colleagues the entire time and they have sort of like this league of monsters, and they have a couple of other, you know, characters and I know that that man thing is is really tight with Howard the Duck and I I know that <laughs> and I know that a lot of people are very you know because he did make an appearance in uh, in the Guardians uh, yes and so um you people are very excited about about maybe some people are excited about him maybe this might be kind of so man thing if you guys get a chance to look him up and his he's actually a, a biochemist or something like that and this is why he ends up he's kind of got a similar backstory as bruce banner you know he was a scientist and he's massively screwed up and, and that's how he got how he is uh but you know he's he's actually a very very cool character and he's a lot of fun and um he does have a lot of friends in the comics and he has He's almost been kind of like now that he's exists in the MCU, you kind of have to almost retcon because he was he was a big part of like the Civil War storyline in the comic books. Like, so like I'm kind of wondering if it, how like a lot of people I saw online say, um, you know, that this may be opening the door to like a whole fork into in the MCU. You know, because now they have this whole host of storylines and backstories and so on that they can mine that they had nothing to do they haven't been able to integrate into their current phases i guess that's where the multiverse is all going to come in right well that's interesting too because yeah how else would you bring in all the crazy stuff that marvel comics has to offer that isn't part of uh, you know spider-man captain america you know etc etc all the traditional stuff that's that's interesting and now that we've got, you know, obviously a taste of the weird with uh, Moon Knight and, um, you know, even, you know, even projects like WandaVision that gives you kind of another twist and turn on on just regular old superheroes. I think um, I think this is if they are going to do that, this is, a, I would think, a wonderful, um, you know, switching of the gears when it comes to that. Let me give you guys a bit of uh, a question and see if you guys can um, answer this. I was doing some research, and uh, this will be kind of like a one-question sentry mode. Um, besides the obvious, obviously, the studio that filmed this, what is the connection between uh, Werewolf by Night and the book of Boba Fett? <laughs> Any takers? I have on, no Melody. clue. <laughs> I blocked out Book of Boba Fett. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody want to take up a guess? No, we all hate that show. <laughs> I, I is it like it a costume, co- like a costume designer, or something really random? <laughs> uh, not as random. 
There was but, a rancor in the background. Yeah, so. there's a rancor. No. <laughs> the uh, actor Carrie Jones that plays Chrysanthemum in Book of Boba Fett also plays Man Thing. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, cool. But, nice. but you know, it's funny talking about um, old Hollywood. It, it it's it's kind of coming back full circle. Um, the way that you know old Hollywood had this. Um, this cadre of of actors that they would always use and then here we are having these uh, you know obviously the director uh did the music for rogue one he's uh now he's directing this so they're kind of going back to like the old hollywoods like i we have these actors on contract so we might as well use them and they'll be peppered throughout uh some of our shows i think that's kind of cool what do you guys think can you imagine going back to that the contracted actors. Well, we're going to lend you out to Paramount from Warner Brothers. <laughs> oh, yeah. man, that'd be amazing. Yeah, it definitely had its pros and cons, though, because oh, yeah. a lot of times, like, like I, I just read Lucille Ball's um, autobiography um, called Love Lucy, which was really cool. And she she was part of that system early on. And mm-hmm. what ended up happening a lot of times was they get they would get stuck in, like, especially the younger ones, they would get stuck in really bad contracts that were not financially, you know, beneficial to them. And they didn't know any better. They maybe didn't have the right people advising them or what have you. And they would get stuck in these very, you know, un- unprofitable uh, contracts. And then what they'd have to do, they'd have to like burn off their, if they had like a seven picture deal. And that's how like a lot of these older movies like you'd be amazed at just like the sheer volume of absolute garbage that got made in the early days of cinema that nobody like literally doesn't exist anymore just because the film has been damaged or got thrown out you know or like things like just dozens and dozens and and she would talk about these movies that you know they even this is lucille ball and some of her stuff on imdb is barely fleshed out just because they're so obscure and so you ended up like that's that's kind of like the flip side of yeah these uh, great actors got used a lot but then if they had a hit project they'd get stuck they'd get like they couldn't grow very easily because they they were contracted after then they kind of you know burn it off and make six horrible movies just to just to get out you know get them off their back and move on to a better contract it's true sure well, and then if they were a big star and tried to say no to something, then they'd get suspended. Mm-hmm. Blackballed. Oh. Yeah. You know, that was a whole other problem. Oh, yeah. Listen, Harrison, you're going to do three Star Wars movies, you see? And you're going <laughs> to love it. Yeah, yeah. All right, friends, time to say thank you and acknowledge all the wonderful souls that help keep the lights on over here at the Scarif Scuttlebutt Podcast. Team Scarif gives you all a heartfelt thanks. We're super lucky to have you. Big thanks to our executor tier patrons, Backyard Tardis, Nick Schaefer, a huge supporter of the Red 5 Network. Go support his channel and catch up on his adventures in locksmithing. Scott and Kim from the Used and Abused Podcast, another Red 5 pod. Look for them on all the socials. Can't forget our other patrons, Rogue One Radio. Thank you, D. DJ Steve and Nicole. And check out Comics and Cosmetics. Danny's got some lovely takes on comics and uh, cosmetics. Go subscribe to her show. Our Miami pal, The Frank. What's up, Frank? And Joey Rosales, longtime supporter of The Scuttlebutt. Thank you, kind sir. Massive shout out to my co-host and mistress of the dark, Chantel of Scarif After Dark. And the ever so wonderful Belinda. Thank you so much, and I'm glad you're on this list. Big thanks to our other friends, Alex and Jay, and our resident classic Hollywood expert, one of our favorite collaborators, Melanie Marquita. Big hugs to you, my friend. 
Huge respect to all our patrons. And if you want to help us keep the lights on over here and enjoy the show, head on over to patreon.com slash scuttlebutt. Remember, we can't have the scuttle without the butt. It's always sunny on Scarif with patrons like you. I'm asking you, please. Please don't do this. Not this way. Just kill me as I am. Otherwise there will be no mercy, I promise. It's not that far off when you think about it. Yeah, the the actors may not be tied to a specific studio like, you know, uh, Warner Brothers, Paramount, you know, whatever the case may be. But those Marvel contracts are insane. And, uh, you know, a lot of actors have not wanted to do Marvel movies because they would be tied to having to do oh so many movies as that particular character. Yeah, so I, I don't know if Star Wars works the same way now that they're doing all the amount of projects that they do. But yeah, I mean, you have to think long and hard before you just sign on the dotted line to do a Marvel movie. Well, certainly true for the sequel trilogy, though, because they had to look at how much of my life is this going to be? Exactly. Right. right. Exactly. What's it going to do to me mm-hmm. if it works or if it doesn't? Right. And, you know, certain actors are okay with it. Look at uh, Chris Hemsworth. He's like, I'll play Thor as long as yeah. you want me to. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, he's, he's obviously he's having fun. He's getting paid. Mm-hmm. Who, does, who doesn't want that? They've, exactly. just, they've lured back Hugh Jackman recently. So, yeah. right. Yeah. So, but all, all of the, a lot of the, the recent casting talk has been about who the next James Bond is going to be. And I've seen a lot of like young 30 something, like, latter 20s early 30s british you know actors they're all being asked this in interviews like every single british actor between 25 and 40 is being asked right now would you be the next james bond and uh some of them are super enthusiastic about it and some of them are polite about it (laughs) and it's not because and you can tell it's not because they have any kind of disdain for the role because you know obviously daniel craig and other actors have been able to do great things with it but if you really think about it, that's a huge commitment because this is that's like 15 years of the of your life and probably their prime. Like that's another thing is that, you know, they're going to be it's pretty much like the prime of their lives that they're going to be dedicated just to this huge franchise. And you know, not everybody, not every artist wants to do that. I mean, you can still definitely do interesting things. I, I do think that a lot of Marvel actors have done really interesting things with the characters creatively and what have you. But um I can see why, even despite the, I'm sure, the very large paychecks and the massive amounts of international exposure and professional exposure and networking that they get, I'm, I can still see why some creative people might hedge on that, that kind of deal. Yeah, no, I mean, for sure. I think I read that article and they said that, you know, whoever plays James Bond next, they need to understand that it's going to be for like the next 10 years. At least. And, and yeah. yeah, at least. And then you become typecast. And like you said, I mean, that is a hard regiment because you, you got to keep the body and in shape and those productions are so huge and on location. So yeah, what room does that leave you to do anything? Else? I mean, what else has Daniel Craig been able to do as he's been playing Bond? 
And that's exactly what uh, Diego Luna had uh, before him. You know, he originally they slated Andor to be five seasons. Right. And Diego Luna's like, ah, do I want to spend that much time away from uh, from my family? Um, and yeah, it's, it's got to be hard for actors uh, to be able to devote so much time to to one single project. Um, but like I said, you know, some some actors are OK with it. They're getting paid. Um, but, you know, there's some actors that uh, really want to do a variety of, of projects and to devote uh, so much time to one thing, you know, doesn't avail them with that uh, opportunity. <laughs> I think whoever, who, what was the name of the actor you said who played Ted, who played uh, Man-Thing? Ted. In this? Uh, I love that his name is Ted. I am totally. Uh, <laughs> Carrie Jones? It's Dr. Ted, FYI. Excuse me. Sorry. <laughs> Dr. Ted. They're cracking up. <laughs> Dr. Ted. Uh, no, yeah. He said Carrie, Carrie Jones, he said his name was? Correct. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, that guy's got it made, you know? <laughs> like, I know. Oh, yeah. He's just, he's just got to show up on like, you know, and do a couple of like things on a green screen and go home. And he's like the star of the show. So that's, that's the ideal. That would be and my I, advice to actors is to get a job like that. And I loved the end when he was kind of, you could tell what the exchange was and that he was asking like, you know, where did, where did he go? And Elsa's like, he went that way. And you could tell yeah. by his words that he said, thank you. Yep, exactly. <laughs> so cute. I loved it. Too funny. And that's another thing. I love it when they make these these big scary looking creatures like so lovable and seeing you know the interaction between him and jack at the beginning of you know of the maze and all of that and seeing like oh my god this big huge creature is like a puppy dog (laughs) it's so sweet and nice if you just talk to him like he's your friend yeah i I love that he really had sort of a a jim henson monster sort of feel to it yeah i could see that yeah Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I love the fact that they, they, you know, they, they did these, uh, at least from what I can tell, it just seemed like a, a practical set. Um, they didn't rely on, uh, the technology Mm -hmm. and, you know, that first shot where, um, where the main character walks in Mm -hmm. and you see this huge room, I'm thinking, oh my God, this is really cool. If it actually exists. Um, I hope it does because that room was, was spectacular. It was gorgeous. Mm-hmm. I mean, the whole set was just absolutely beautiful. Kind of reminded me of the haunted mansion. <laughs> it yeah. does. Yes. It does. Yeah. No. And, um, well, one of the things that I really liked about Werewolf by Night, this particular special, which, you know, I actually was kind of late to the party on this. I only saw this a few days ago for the first time because I've just been busy and I just saw a bunch of people on my feed referring to it as adorable. And I'm just like, that. What? That's what? incongruous. Oh, it's so cute. It's really funny. It's really, and I'm thinking to myself, like, were, a werewolf show? It's like a horror show. And it's That's fun, like but, the but, last word I would use. <laughs> it's because of like their relationship and like, you know, the whole thing. I guess people thought it was like the way it ended and the friendship and the whole thing. So I thought a lot of people saying, oh, it's really, it was so charming. It was, and just, those seem very incongruous adjectives <laughs> for right. a werewolf yeah. show. Okay. So I checked it out and I, I laughed a lot through it. I thought it was funny. Like even some of the the violence, like Shanti was saying, it's not gratuitous. Some of it was almost so, it was almost funny. Like some, some of the, yeah, the like fight outlandish. scenes. Yes, outlandish and like over the top almost. And it I, horror humor is one of my favorite subgenres of all time. And it's so hard to get it right. And I think they really nailed it. Like they just had, like Melanie was saying, just the right amount 
of humor. It was just like the Goldilocks of a TV Halloween special. It was perfect. Mm-hmm. I like the. Um... I liked how some of the characters really were, um, I don't know, want to say caricatures of themselves, but you have the, um, the, the Butler type, the guy that yes. uh, cranks the, <laughs> um, the coffin open, just the way he, you know, he reminded me of, you know, a, a Boris Karloff or, or just uh, like a, a lot like the Andy, Igor. Yeah. The Igor. Yeah. The, the, that type of, of actor really, um, but again, it's just uh, goes to show you that, uh, you know, planning something like this really, you know, the attention to the devils in the details here, because um, really, really great job. And again, I'm- the music, the music plays such an important piece because it needs to have a very particular sound. The first time I watched it, I paused too much and for you see, and this is why I don't like watching these things at home. Like I would have loved to have seen this like as a special phantom event in the yes. theater. Um, but the second time around, I sat there and watched it, you know, without a break. And one of the first things I noticed was they got like the horn section right of the orchestra because those types of movies just had a very particular sound and the way that the horn section is mixing with the strings. I was like, this is perfect. I love this music. It fits in so well. Uh, you could have stuck this in a movie from the thirties with no problem. It had almost a psycho quality to yes. certain aspects of, of the, of the tone and uh, the suspense it's got those, I, and I think it's, I think it's strings mm-hmm. um, that are used uh, during one of the sequences that really had me like, oh my god, this is so good. Um, but yeah, I think overall, I again, I'm, I'm like super surprised and uh, happy that um, that I enjoyed this as much as I did. Also, I, I did want to mention, we, we you, you asked before if we caught any kind of, you know, connections and, and things like that. And um, one thing I kind of wondered if they had named the main character Elsa after Elsa Lanchester, who was the first Scream Queen uh, playing the Bride of Frankenstein <laughs> in the 1930s. And uh, I kind of wondered if that was deliberate. I mean, it probably is. These people, the people who made this clearly are fans of that genre. But I just thought that was a little interesting possible possible connection I'm, i don't know i don't know if they've confirmed it or not but that was elsa's kind of in this day and age kind of an unusual name I, a lot of people associate it with frozen you know and right. uh, mm-hmm. oh, but because this was kind of uh you know in that steeped in the lore of the universal monsters uh it just it's just something that i thought of right away because bride of frankenstein is is probably one of my favorites and uh, she's very special and elsa was very much a pioneer in just cinema in general we've talked about this on the previous shows i think where she was really like the first woman to star in a horror film <laughs> ever. And maybe that was a little homage to her. Could be. I wouldn't doubt it. One of the things that I wanted to, um, maybe I'll do it on the next, uh, on the next rewatch here, but I wanted to really to, to catch all the names that were in that mausoleum. Oh yeah. Cause there's gotta be some sort of, some egg or sort Easter, of egg. Easter eggs or something uh, on there that, uh, I'm going to try to catch next time I watch it. Yeah. Like when Jack said he'd fought that one guy a couple of times, I kind of yeah, wonder, like, why did he point him yeah. out specifically? Yeah. What's the backstory there? Mm-hmm. And he says he's never looked so alive. Yeah. I love. 
That's got to be some kind of in-joke or something. <laughs> so uh, let's just go around the, the room and uh, tell us what you really, really liked about this show. What really caught your eye that uh, you can't stop talking about? Shanti. Again, the attention to detail, I... <sighs> I kind of fall victim to the way Hollywood is where they just, they love movies about movies and that's kind of how I am. So anything having to do with film history, I'm completely on board and this was just a wonderful tribute to old Hollywood and black and white and cigarette burn. I mean, that's, that's really what I love. I just love that appreciation for it and really i mean i just i really just could not get over the music i mean music and movies to me are such a big deal and they they just go so hand in hand because before people even uttered one word on film movies were silent and everything was based off of the actor's facial expression and you got your cues from the music so it, that to me was going to be probably one of the most important aspects of this movie and the music just absolutely sold it for me so i can't i can't speak enough about the music and the choice of using a black and white filter for this movie so bravo well done how many stars do you think oh five out of five for sure very nice very nice perfect perfect halloween (laughs) yes perfect halloween melanie how about you i liked the black and white cinematography that was my favorite and I, th- I thought the lighting was really well done, really yes. well done. And it just, Absolutely. it just made everybody look so good. Black and white's my favorite. I think everybody looks better in black and white. <laughs> Cause it's, uh, it's just, it's just so glamorous, you know, it's just, it's such a, it's such a sweet throwback. I just thought everybody looked really great and it just really, the atmosphere of it was so well done. Absolutely. Andy, what about you? Oh, and sorry, Melanie, how many stars? Five. Very nice. Nice. Cool, yeah. Andy? Yeah, same. I would definitely give it five out of five stars. I did just like you guys, I did not expect to enjoy it as much as I had. I didn't, I kind of went into it blind and uh, I ended up coming away really charmed and really charmed by a lot of the performances. I think that's the, that was the first thing that really impressed me was the commitment to the, the roles and uh, just the way that they managed to make these characters that we have just met me have a lot of layers to them and have a lot of nuances, little details like Shanti was talking about the, the fear in, in Elsa's face and how her hand, little details like that, how her hand shook when she went to caress his face. The performances were really great. Even Mrs. Bloodstone, she, you know, she chewed just about, the right amount of scenery, you know, she, she didn't really, she could have been a caricature, I think in a lesser actor's hands. And she was a real person. And you kind of got that, um, that, you know, her, what her motives were and what her agenda. And you kind of, I didn't agree with her, but I, I kind of saw where she was coming from. And I think with characters like that, it's very difficult to do. So the performances were really fun. And, um, the production values were amazing too. And I just think for me, what impressed me most is that they did do a lot of these little touches on the show that were tributes and throwbacks to older styles of cinema and older styles of acting and lighting and all that. But they still managed to make something that to me was very fresh. And I would love to see more uh, in of in this universe and of, with these characters. I, I hope that this is not the last 
of you know Werewolf by Night and the and Man Thing and Elsa that we've seen. I hope so too. I'm going to have to echo everything that you guys have said. Um, also, five out of five. You know, one of the things that I really, really enjoyed uh, about this um, show was the music. We always say that music is almost like another character, and in this case, it definitely was. I was. I think I was paying attention more to the music than the actual dialogue. And that's where I was getting my story from, which is commendable for a project that is so, uh, you know, buried in, 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 um, in the nostalgia of, of, you know, yesteryear and, and these old monster movies and stuff like that. I love the big time throwbacks. Um, like you mentioned the, uh, you know, the, the lighting, um, obviously coming back, coming from a, you know, uh, background in, in, uh, you know, television production and, and movies and stuff like that. I absolutely loved what they did with, uh, with the film stock, the, the black and white, the lighting, like Mel- Melanie mentioned, it's just, it's just wonderful all around. I didn't know what to expect going into this. I'm like, what is this going to be? Um, but, um, I was pleasantly surprised, uh, probably, uh, going to watch it again after we're done, uh, a third time. Um, and I'm, uh, definitely going to recommend it to, to all my friends and, and all their friends, but it's, uh, it was a wonderful production. Um, and I really do hope that they do something, you know, something with it, uh, another one, and maybe each Halloween we'll get a new story. I wouldn't want to wait one year for each additional story. But let's see what happens. Hopefully, uh, you know, people will find it and um, word will spread and we'll get more stories in this universe because I'm really, really enjoying it. No, Howard the Duck. (laughs) (laughs) I think they have a chance to do that one right. (laughs) Yes. Forget the 80s, Howard. (laughs) Only time will tell. Mm hmm. Excellent. Guys, uh, thank you so much for joining Shanti and myself on this very wonderful episode of the scare of scuttlebutt podcast episode 120 wow we've been talking about stuff for 120 shows that's crazy melanie um you wonderful person you uh uh, thank you so much you uh can come on the show anytime um andy you too you guys are uh, a blast to talk with we always have a lot of fun um tell folks where people can find you melanie i'm usually on the twitter at melanie marquita Falling around the cool kids at the Red Five. Oh, (laughs) nice, nice. Thank you so much. And Andy, um, what is up with your bad self? Well, uh, yeah, I'm on. I'm also on the Twitter, and I I'm at plus verb v e r b. Uh, if you want to join in the nonsense, the daily nonsense that I post on there, I just I have a lot of fun, and I met a lot of awesome people on there. So that's usually where. I, but I'm I'm on Instagram too, but I post there like three times a year. So <laughs> mostly Twitter, mostly Twitter. So yeah, it's funny. I used to post a lot on Instagram, and then. Um, my Twitter got so active because of all the pods and shows and wonderful people that I've met, uh, met on Twitter that, uh, I too probably only post once a month on, on Instagram because all the cool, cool kids are over here. It's just better for conversation and talking like actually being social on social media for me has been easier on Twitter than Instagram is like, you can just post and dip and like never even see what people say. <laughs> right. Not a lot yeah. of engagement happening over that, you know, unless you're like, you have certain kinds of content, but the kind that I enjoy is the chit chatting. That's, that's sure. more. Yeah, absolutely. Here's a picture of my tacos from two. 
<laughs> Enjoy. Yes. Excellent. And Shanti, what do you have coming up next? I know uh, besides the scuttlebutt here, you've got some Scarif After Dark. Um, this show is going to be dropping next Thursday. So uh, what do you got coming up? We got a lot in the pipeline. We're doing our mental health. Uh, we're doing that, right? The stream tomorrow, I believe we're doing that. That is correct. Uh, we have Scarif Live on Saturday to talk about uh, this last episode of Andor. And I will actually also be on Fulcrum Entertainment to also talk about it at 4.30 before Scarif Live on Saturday. Very so I'm nice. back to being busy. And um, I am guesting on Used and Abused on Tuesday to talk about <laughs> Disney's Halloween Town, which I absolutely love. <laughs> Watched three <laughs> of them too. last night back to back. I still need to finish the fourth one. And I am all, oh my God, I am also going to be on a live stream on Friday, Jeez. Dark dark Lichen 81, and Josh is joining me. He's part of the Salacious Rum Crew, the Monkey Lizard Army, and then Saturday is Scarif Live and Scarif After Dark, where we are going to be talking about the hotties of horror. So I am <laughs> really excited about that, and we're having Tina on and Salacious Rum, so that should effectively shut down Scarif after dark because <laughs> it's going to be absolutely bonkers authorities will be called there will be yeah. no survivors no survivors oh, yeah. but i'm super excited because i just love those two and uh, we will be wearing costumes so i can't uh, oh very nice the hotties of horror yeah i'm there sweet All right, it's giveaway time. Snap a spooky selfie, post it on Twitter, and tag us using hashtag AlwaysSpookyOnScare for your chance to win author Max Brooks's The Zombie Survival Guide graphic novel. We'll select two winners by November 15th, 2022. And don't forget to follow and subscribe. And that's the scuttlebutt. Awesome. Check it out. And uh, if you are just discovering the Scare of Podcasts, we say thank you and uh, keep discovering. We have a whole bunch of shows. I mentioned that this is episode 120. If you're new, you got 119 to go. But thank you so much for joining us here at the Scare of Podcasts. Find us wherever you find your other favorite podcasts. We are part of the Red 5 Network. Check out the rest of the Red 5 Network shows at red5network.com or go to bio.link slash red5. That's the number five, and it's red. <laughs> Absolutely. You guys have an open invitation, and I know Cyril's mom says no civilized person would consider an open invitation a real invitation, but it's open and it's real. I'm not that civilized lucky for you guys. So I'll yeah, exactly anytime, <laughs> anytime you guys need an extra, an extra person to chime in on things. So. listener just a reminder that the podcast you just heard is a proud member of the red five network family red five network.com offers you a great variety of shows you'll be sure to love 
So the next time you're itching for quality content, make sure you head over to red5network.com. You'll find this podcast along with a whole lot more. All wings report in. It's the Red 5 Network.